Hi, welcome to Athletes to Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey. I'm Rob Finkelstein, host of the show. I'm the founder and CEO of Alumni Direct. And what we've done is we've created the premier platform for alumni worldwide to help them connect within their affinity groups, whether it's college community centers, fraternities, sororities, even athletes. So we put together uh, these community centers to help people out. And one of the things we're doing is trying to create uh, various content on shows and webinars. We're really excited about this show. Uh, what we're trying to do with Athletes Entrepreneurs is to teach and inspire athletes that there is life after sports. So today we're really excited to have Hannah Valenzuela, and she is a elite distance runner. Uh, she grew up running through high school and ultimately college and competed at national level in various championships. And uh, we're so excited to have her. She's also uh, a podcaster. So she's going to teach me a couple of things today of how to do a proper podcast, how to ask the right questions, be enthusiastic, all that good stuff. So anyway, uh, Hannah, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Rob. It's an honor to be here. And I'm so honored and was so ecstatic that you reached out to me um, just in terms of an interview and talking about my podcast. I feel like it's a sign that I'm doing something right. And so I really appreciate that. And I really admire you for your unique perspective and your unique ambition in what the scope of your business is and what your work is. I feel like it has a very unique edge to it and there's definitely a need for it and a need for connecting people, whether you're a former athlete or a former student. And I, you, I heard you mention even sorority and fraternity in there as well. Yes. Um, I think college is such an important time, but it's also very fleeting. It goes by so quickly. And I think it puts you in this place where you have access to so just a surplus of so many different things, resources and people and opportunity. And then it's over just like that. Right. And I feel like you almost feel disposable because suddenly you have everything and then you have nothing and it leaves people feeling very overwhelmed and a lot of other things as well. And so anyway, I'm excited to talk about a lot of important things today. Oh, great. Yeah. Again, thank you for being on the show. So um, I, I like to ask fun questions and um, we're going to start out. Take me through um, your childhood experience, um, you know, running and, and, you know, taking up through high school and then ultimately to getting to college. Talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Uh, so I grew up, I wasn't always a runner. I dabbled in a lot of different things. I would say I started with music first and ballet and tried a few different sports. Soccer wasn't it for me. Basketball wasn't it for me, but running was something that I didn't find it. It found me. Uh, my dad was a former Marine. And so he's a very active man. And his way of bonding with my two sisters and I was waking us up as what he called zero dark 30. <laughs> and um, he'd wake us up early in the morning and take us running. And I loathed it, but I also knew it was kind of my only time I had really with my dad, just one-on-one -on -one like that. And so I grew to appreciate it. We were all very competitive with each other, my dad and my sisters and I. And so um, I think that we learned early on that we enjoyed that competitive energy. And I don't think any of us liked being like beat by each other. And so it kind of encouraged us all to like keep pushing ourselves. And I kept at it for a couple years. Like I said, I wasn't good at all to begin with. Both of my sisters were better than me. One's older than me and one's younger than I. And it kind of hit me, I would say when we joined there's like, you know, regular races, road races, there's um, sports 
when you're in school but then there's also club sports like every sport has that club level to it like once you know you're serious once you join club sports and so we joined a club running team and it really hit me when I noticed that I was always the one in the back of the pack and I I got to the point where I didn't like that and I was thinking to myself hey, if I'm doing this, I want to be good. And I was kind of tired of being the one that was in the back. I was tired of my little sister being better at me than everything. And I just kept at it. And one day I had a breakout race. I remember I was in eighth grade and I was competing at Mount Sac. And my mom and I were out shopping the night before. And as a joke, I kept picking things up as I li- that I liked. And as a joke, she would say, oh, if you win tomorrow, I'll get that for you. If you win tomorrow, I'll get that for you. And I mean, it was just such a joke because why would I, Hannah Valenzuela, win a race? And then the next day came at Mount Sac and I won the race. (laughs) And so, you know, my mom, she was really excited for me. And she, of course, kept her word and bought me those items that she wasn't expecting that she'd be buying for me. And then from there on, that really perpetuated the start of my career, like that one win led to the motivation to train for the next race. And if you're a runner, you know that like there's always another race to train for. And yeah, I would say eighth grade was really what marked that beginning of my my prep career as a standout distance runner. Um, I competed for the Southern California Roadrunners growing up. I'm not. I know that you were a distance runner. I'm not sure how familiar familiar you are with the prep scene, but I think a lot of people if they're from Southern California, they're pretty familiar with those names. Like if you're listening, right. Southern California Roadrunners equalizers were huge. San Diego Roadrunners were huge. Um, who are some of the other ones? Uh, LA Jets were huge. They were more for sprinters though, I would say, but yeah. So prep running was a huge part of my youth. I can remember doing homework in the car on the way to practice um, because they, where my team was located, it was about an hour and a half drive to where I grew up. Um, I grew up in a very small town, kind of secluded and away from everything, but you know, my life revolved around those trainings and then racing on the weekend, but I lived for it. And I really grew to love my sport because running was really ultimately the first thing that made me feel special. I had never really found anything before that. I felt like, Hey, this makes me special. Like this makes me, this makes people notice me. This, this gives me attention from other people. And I also felt really good about myself. It feels good to push yourself to do something and to work really hard at something and then to see those tangible results. And that's something that I really loved about running. It's like you get out of it what you put into it. So if you know that you're putting in that work and you're putting in the mileage and you're doing the workouts, you know that like come race day, you will be ready. And so, I mean, ever since that um, fateful day, um, Mount Sac eighth grade, it just, I just kept getting better from there. And it just led to what ultimately was my like winning streak where um just where I grew up I think most every race I competed in I won and set the course record for and this really went on my entire middle school and then high school career and I mean that comes with a lot of pressure of course um where I grew up I was definitely known as like Hannah the runner and I was on the cover of the news, the city newspaper every week for the, the latest race that I won and, and held the course record for. Um, at a higher level, I would say 
I mean, at that age group um, prep level, we're talking about um, when it came to nationals, I won, I, w- I won my first national championships when I was 16 um, in North Carolina in the 3,200 meters. So I did cross country and I did track. Okay. And then, um, yeah, I continued standing out. I was a big standout in high school and every year just kept improving. And I would say by sophomore year in high school, I knew like, hey, this is something that I really want to do long term. And I think you're mature enough at that age to understand that you really love something and you really want to stick with something. So although like my family was really supportive of me, like in my own heart and in my my own head, I knew like, hey, this is something I want to do for the long run. I was already like had those Olympic aspirations. Like I trained like a professional athlete at that point in my life. I mean, in high school, I would wake up at 3.30 in the morning and make my mom coffee and she would drive in the car behind me while I ran in the dark at 3.30 in the morning so that I I could train before school and then I'd come back and um, because of where I grew up in Apple Valley it was cold and so I'd keep a trash can in the backyard filled with water from the hose and it'd be so cold that the water would be frozen so I would sit in the water taking an ice bath and eat breakfast and read a book I'd always read books by former like really successful runners like Shalane Flanagan and Kara Goucher and all the great runners of um, of that time period. And so, you know, you know, it's funny is I think back because I back when I was growing up running, there was a, I don't know if you remember the name Mary Decker. Like, I mean, she was absolutely yeah, mm-hmm. there was a lot. of people. So what, what's interesting, uh, you know, we've had some con- conversation. I talked to Hannah, uh, me being a runner, uh, I I can understand that there's a lot of um I guess sometimes when you look at running, some people might not think necessarily of it as a sport. I think now it's more so than when I was growing up and I was running, but there's a lot of practice and dedication that, that goes with it. But what, one thing that I always ask people, I say, do you have, you know, did you ever dream of being a professional athlete, so to speak? And, and for me, I joke around and say I did, but it wasn't good enough, but you know, I, I ran so I could understand now coming from perspective. So did you, um, is that something you kind of alluded to briefly, but did you aspire to be, that Olympic athlete or that professional runner? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I competed at nationals every year for cross country and track. Um, my senior year of high school, I qualified for two world championships. So I competed. I had the opportunity to c- compete in Slovenia um, in the world mountain running championships. And then I also competed in Spain in the um world cross country championships. And so, I mean, to compete in foreign soil at that level, you know, that's the highest level that you can achieve in your sport. And from there, I really pictured myself only going up from there. And I mean, it was such a surreal feeling because that's really all I wanted for myself. And I truly loved it. I mean, I loved that feeling of training and giving everything to my sport. I was always very focused. I didn't grow up with many friends. I never had a boyfriend. I, all I wanted to do was, you know, train, work out, go to the gym, go to school, train, work out, go to the gym, do everything I could just to really, to really become who I wanted to be. And so absolutely. I think I had that mindset. I had the discipline. I had the drive. I had the heart. I had all of, I had everything. And then I think what it came down to was just, it could have been a little bit of, everything maybe too much too soon because in a way by the time I got to college at UCLA in a way I was already burnt out in some ways and then 
Um, I just really started struggling with my mental health at that point. And we can get to that in another question. I know I'm answering like sure. 10 different topics in one question. <laughs> <laughs> but this is great. Um, You're doing the whole show for me. I just got to sit back and let you. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, there's a lot of dedication and, you know, I've talked to various athletes across different sports, but I think the common theme is, especially growing up and, and doing these sports is just, um, there's a lot of hard work and dedication and a lot of sacrifice. I mean, you mentioned it, you know, just not having maybe that social life. I mean, you know, we're out, I know in my case, just running and, you know, there's things that we couldn't necessarily do like, you know, going out to parties and things like that, or just, you know, the night before meets, but it, it also, you have that camaraderie of the team. So now fast forward, you're into college. Um, talk a little bit about um, something that, you know, we're trying to do is understand and, and help that whole community where alumni come back and maybe mentor and, and you hear across different sports some alumni you hear stories about um and things are changing now with nil and all that but talk about your experience at ucla where were there alumni that got involved coming back um you know whether they were former runners or even just other sports did they work with the student athletes at ucla oh no i mean i can honestly say during my time, I never met an alumni okay. or really spoke to an alumni. And you bring up a great point because I think that alumni have something in common where, you know, now as an alumni of UCLA officially, like I love mentoring students. I just spoke on a panel the other night and got to speak to someone that's still um, that was just accepted into UCLA and is still trying to decide if they want to go to UCLA. And so I love that mentorship aspect, but was it there? No. Um, I think there's a need for it. I think that sometimes student athletes more often than not need someone to talk to that's not a parent and not a coach, but someone that's been in their shoes before and can really see things through that same lens. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that's something that we've talked to, you know, in listening, actually in listening to some Mataj's podcast with other folks, um, just hearing their stories. I think um, there's definitely a need for it. There's different groups that we're trying to work with. I mean, I think ultimately within our community centers, we're creating what's called athletes corner. And within that area, um, it, you know, we want to help to promote college athletes now, which we'll get into in a minute with the NIL stuff, but then also alumni athletes and giving them um, somewhat of a platform. But um, with that, we also want to provide resources. And, you know, I've been fortunate, the more I expand into this area, just seeing the different people out there willing to help athletes, because I think, um, and we'll talk about it, you know, another question later, but just how these athletes, you know, you spend your whole life in the practice and the games and everything else. And then all of a sudden, um, you get you get to the point of where, okay, now it's, you know, the sports are done. I mean, some people are fortunate to play professionally, but even from there, there's still at some point there's an end. So talk a little bit about um, how do you feel like um, your athletic career helped prepare you for your future after, you know, the sports were over for you? That's a great question. I would say it took me a very long time. It took me years and even I'm still a work in progress in terms of that mentality, but I think what really did it for me was learning that it's not like necessarily just the sport that makes you special. It's the person that is putting in that action. And so once I was able to connect those dots that like, Hey, it's not just my sport that makes me special. It's like my skill set. It's my determination. It's my work ethic. It's my drive. It's my 
type A, like obsessive compulsive, like personality that really allows me to like apply myself to something and see it through at like a very high level. And I mean, it really took into like, you know, now I'm entering into my late twenties and it's taken me that long to really understand like, Hey, like I can really apply myself to anything. It's not just, you know, running wasn't the only thing. It's just one of the first things that I tried and I became very, very good at. Um, this, I, what exactly was your question? I know I was started- well, No, just more, but it just, it, you, you're kind of answering because I'm asking like how, yeah. how it prepared you for your future. So right. a lot of that drive and determination um, in, in athletes in general, but I know for me, myself too, just, I, I think it's definitely shaped how my work ethic and everything else, because of all that hard work and the practice and things that I put, put in. So um, it kind of switching gears a little bit. So um, I've been talking a lot about this whole NIL and you're hearing more and more traction on it. Um, what's your thoughts on it? Um, kind of going back and, and really it could be any athlete because there's all across the board, there's a big article down here in South Florida talking about uh, some of these college athletes now and having the ability, especially I think some of these ones who, um, you know, maybe they're not the superstars or they don't go to the big school, but what's your thoughts? Tell me a little bit about that. On NIL? Yeah, just about the athletes being able to kind of promote themselves and get paid for it when they're in college now. Okay, I needed you to expand on that because I honestly, I can't say I spe- I really keep up with relevant sports events. Like honestly, since I start, I stopped running for a long time, it was because it hurt too much to like stay in the know of everything. But right. now I think I just live in my own bubble as I think we're all guilty of. I've been right. very busy with my personal and professional life. But with that said, this is a very important topic. So thank you for bringing um bringing light to that for me I would say it's incredible I um and I actually have heard of it I just didn't know the terminology but I think it's It's in all it's taken me a while to figure out every every the first if you watch like the first three or four shows I kept like what's that called again I'm I'm asking these you know former football players but so yeah for those that are listening NIL is um it's basically an initiative that's now allowing um, student athletes at the NCAA level to have opportunities to basically get their name out there and you're using platforms to really leverage um, who you are and maybe you're making money from it like you're definitely getting certain sponsorships out of it you're getting more of a social media following from it um, I think it's phenomenal because again like I try to assert in my podcast women's soccer talk Um, this is a big topic for me, is that being a student athlete, it's not like a social class. It's not a socioeconomic status. So, you know, just because someone is a high achieving athlete doesn't mean that they they're a millionaire or they have all of these resources. You know, we all come from different backgrounds. And honestly, I would say some of the best athletes come from the toughest backgrounds. And through that is how they really developed that grit. And so I would say it's amazing because it really allows them to get ahead in different ways and, and prepare themselves in different ways as well. I, I mean, I would say that some sponsorships, sponsorship um, opportunities are teaching them how to uh, be entrepreneurs. It's giving them um, more development 
developing their interests outside of their sport too. So if they're, you know, start talking about different health products, maybe they're like, Hey, I'm really passionate about, you know, health and nutrition. Maybe that's something I want to pursue myself or, Hey, like this sponsorship opportunity is actually helping me make extra money so that like I can pay my rent and I can quit this job where people don't respect my time. And, you know, people make me feel bad about myself or just different things like that. I think it's incredible. And I mean, um, there's this term that I really like called generational trauma, where as our society continues to progress, people that didn't get to experience those benefits of our current society, they're kind of bitter about it. Um, but for me, like, I don't carry that like bitterness with me. I'm just so happy for um, the athlete, you know, the current student athletes, because, you know, we've always deserved that. It just took some time to really for the public to kind of understand like, hey, this is fair. Um, I know like when I was going through it, um, through that time in my life, NCAA always had really rigid guidelines in terms of like, what deems you professional versus not professional. Like I remember little things like you couldn't even accept shoes from a road race um, or else that would consider you professional. I remember um, just going through those NCAA, um, what was it called? I remember there was a portal where you had to go onto to like make sure everything was up to date. Like, did you accept any money this year? Did you accept this? Did you accept that? And it's hard too, because I think for me, like growing up, I wasn't from the most affluent of backgrounds. And so I would have really benefited from an extra right. check that could have helped pay for some things, or at least pay my mom back the gas money that she spent on taking me to the race, you know, just things like that. I think, I think it's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think in some of it, you know, some, some concerns come up that, that some of the other guests have talked about just with the concern all of a sudden with, well, you know, these athletes getting this money and maybe not knowing what to do with it from a standpoint of taxes, investing it. And that's, you know, and I talked about different resources. We're trying to, that's something that I'm passionate about seeing how that just gets back into the coaching, mentoring, and some of these athletes coming back that have been exposed, even like social media. I mean, that's a big issue today. I know, yeah, probably even when you were around, it was, it was, it was there too, but not when I was growing up, social media wasn't a big thing, but still it, it's kind of guiding these people um, and these athletes and teach them. So now we're going to kind of just fast forward a little bit. Um, and I know you're in, you know, still in the, the college environment per se. Um, what kinds of um, impact in your life um, have you seen with alumni, like in, in helping you, are you interacting and networking, connecting with other alumni? I think that's something that hasn't really taken form until more recently um, because I, it took me a while to put myself out there again. Um, I don't know how much you listen to my podcast, but I talk about my struggles with my mental health and that is ultimately what led to the end and the demise of my career. Right. I struggled with eating disorders. I struggled with bipolar depressive disorder. I struggled with severe, severe depression and suicidal ideations. Um, it took me years to come out of like the dark, dark of that. And when I say dark, I refer to like no social media, um, very minimal contact with family, um, really no social contact or social life. Um, I was basically going to work and I took up serving jobs, which I really liked because you make really good money and you're able to pay your bills, but it became like my comfort zone. So I would go to my serving job and then just like clock in, clock out, and then just isolate. And I just did what I needed to do to get by. Right. 
but I really, and I knew in the back of my head, like, hey, I really want to be someone that can help other people. But I also knew that I wouldn't be able to do that until I could really fully help myself. And because of that, I just didn't socialize or talk to people. And so that's something that hasn't taken form, like I said, already until more recently. But being able to connect with people, and it doesn't even matter, like, I feel like no matter what age you are, no matter what like background you are, just having that commonality between each other, like, hey, I was a former collegiate athlete, like not alone, just like, it like makes my heart flutter. And it's like, so comforting to be able to talk to people about that. And it brings you back to that time. And it's such a special connection that you can share with someone. It doesn't matter the walk of life they're in. Right. Being able to like actually like reflect and talk about your experiences and like what's the same and like what's different. It's it's amazing. And I think that what you're it's again like what I said, what you're doing is such an amazing needed thing. Yeah, and that's you're right, because you you wanna it's those experience. And like you said, it doesn't matter what age you are. I mean you know, you go back and just you kind of reminisce about things that went on campus. And that, yeah, obviously over the years, things change. Um, actually, UCLA was a very nice campus. I, I visited when I was younger. It's a, like at Westwood's a nice area. So, um, but um, so now, you know, we're going to get into, you know, kind of what you're doing. But before we do that, um, you touched on a lot of things and kind of your personal journey and what you went through. And I think a lot of athletes do go through that. And like I said, we're trying to teach and inspire. So there's definitely, um you know, people like yourself that now have come out on the other side and just people that have had a lot of success and they want to give back and help. So what kind of advice would you give to athletes? And like, it doesn't matter what sport. And like, like we talked about, it could be, they just finished their collegiate career or maybe, maybe they got hurt when they're in college or, or they were a professional athlete, but now they're done. And now they have to go into this real world where they might not have that experience of being teaching. So, so give some advice to our our viewers and listeners um, to how to kind of handle that. Absolutely. I would say first and foremost, be your number one advocate. No one else knows your heart and your journey and your dreams better than you. So if that is your dream to really pursue sports at the highest level, then do that, pursue that. Like who, no one else is entitled to tell you that you can't do otherwise. Like, of course, first and foremost, but also that's not to say don't like pursue um, opportunities and skill sets outside of that as well. Um, There's no such thing as cheating on your sport. Um, I used to always feel like that. Like I can only run, I can't do this, or I can't try this. Like you know, running will get jealous. I don't know what I thought running will get jealous or um, God will discipline me because I'm not, you know, doing enough for my sport, but you're allowed to explore other outlets and other skill sets. You can get an internship, you know, training takes up a lot of time, but you can still squeeze things in. Um, Build your networks, like talk to people and um, also be, be, in the know and like be mature and realistic enough to understand that like yes you probably like if that is in your mind and your heart that you want to be at that level then yeah you're probably not that far off from it to be realistic but at the same time really understand that like it's not as glamorous as it seems I mean I was pretty close to that level like I said I've competed at the world level But I mean, with that said, 
professional running isn't the most glamorous sport. I mean, the checks, you know, it's not the NBA. It's not, you know, this isn't the NFL. The checks aren't really the same. And you can get sponsorships from Nike and Adidas, and you can get a free pair of shoes here, and you can be testing shoes here. But I mean, is that enough to pay your bills? Or also, what would happen if you got injured, God forbid, out of nowhere? And so I think it's just really learning how to cover your own bases. You can, you can follow your heart and follow your dreams, but also like set yourself up with like backup plans as well. And don't let that be like the end all be all. Like I, I would like the second I try to think about like life outside of running or other options, I just couldn't handle it. It was painful for me and it hurt because I didn't want to think about a life without running, but just allowing yourself to be flexible too. Like, you know, that's not what life is just doing one thing and one thing only for the rest of your life. That's so quick side though. Do you still run? Yeah, I dabble in it. I mean, um, I like to, I'd love to say like, I wake up every morning and go for a run on the beach, which I really, I do that a lot, but not every day. Um, I've definitely had like ups and downs when it comes to like, my relationship with running but I think I've just also learned to love like just exercise as a whole and understanding like it's more about like the mental payout for me at this point like of course like we want to look our best and feel our best but I also know that like mentally I'm at my best when I have some sort of exercise routine it might not be running every day but there's always like something I try to fit in you you know it's funny I have um and you, you'll relate to this. So, you know, growing up running in high school and college, you know, we'd run 60, 70, 80 miles a week. And so every once in a while now, though, people are like, oh, you're going to run a marathon. It's great. And I'm like, listen, when I was in shape in high school and college and I was running 10, 12, 15, sometimes 18 miles, that was the time to do it. Now I have no desire to run, to run a marathon. It, the time has passed. I, I could have done it when I was younger. I just didn't have the desire to do it. people people love going for that question people love going for the marathon question every time for some reason I don't know why it's always marathon oh you're a runner how many marathons have you done (laughs) I always get that I'm like none I haven't done any yet that's good right high five on that one that's that's good so now now um, I always talked about it kind of gave the in the beginning, I talked a little bit about what you're doing today, but um, now this is kind of like the commercial time. So share with us um, some of the things that you're doing today, how people can find you. I know we've talked a little bit, so talk maybe a little about your podcast and some of these other things you have going on. And then also, like I said, how people can find you. Absolutely. Um, well, I would say throughout throughout it all, there was always one person that was standing by my side and that was my best friend. Um, but he was like my comfort zone and outside of him, I really didn't branch out. So if he were ever talking to his friends about me or people would bring me up, they'd always refer to me as the invisible girl because I was like nowhere to be found. I wouldn't go out. I wasn't going out to social activities. I wasn't on social media. So I'm, I'm getting out of it. I'm no longer like so much of the invisible girl. I still have a lot of growing to do. If you look me up on social media, you're not going to find me, but it's all coming. Um, it really started with me finally releasing my idea, Women's Locker Talk, which I call it my Locker Talk podcast concept, which consists of Women's Locker Talk, Men's Locker Talk, LGBTQ plus Locker Talk, and Locker Talk University. 
And it's my podcast that I use to discuss and articulate stigmatized topics that may or may not be commonly discussed both openly and behind the scenes in our sports environments and communities today. So I use the art of storytelling. Like initially my intent was just to use it as a way for me to tell my stories. Um, I, I know I had a list that I brought up of the things that I struggled with in terms of my mental health. Um, but it actually has turned into so much more than that. I've had a lot of people reach out to me that also want to tell their stories. And so I call it like coming into my locker room and having a space where people can use that space to just get whatever it is they need to get off off of their chest. So a lot of times it has people talking about, um, like with our mutual connection, Taj Deshaun, he was on there talking about his experience in football and how he really grieved the loss of his sport when he stopped playing and how that led to depression. But as a black man, it's really difficult to discuss mental health because people look at you, A, because you're a man and two, because you're black and they expect you to be just this epitome of masculinity and strength. And so I like to uncover stigmatized topics. I like to be very transparent and real. And it's still in its early stages. I have about, I think, 20-ish episodes. I have a few I need to release. I've just been a little busy lately, but um, with that, next I have a website coming up where that has a lot of exciting things. So stay tuned if you're listening and you're interested. Um, I have merchandise and development that I'm excited to start selling so that people can wear like women's locker talk merchandise. And I'd love to have a lot of like quotes on it that are like inspirational like body positivity and mental health awareness focused um and then from there um just building the social media just so that like it can just be a way where people can start to start seeing the content because I mean if no one knows about you it's really difficult to like really get the word out there but that's just like a big portion of like something that's going on in my life right now um I wanted to do it for a really long time so I'm happy that I'm doing it finally and I'm happy that you found me and like I said at the beginning it tells me that I'm doing something right you are you it, it's great actually it, it funny like we she mentioned the, the mutual uh person Taj that uh I I was listening to the podcast and I heard Hannah's podcast and just inspired me to talk to her because I think there's you know, like I said, we're all about helping people and, and that's the fabric of Alumni Direct. And so I, I think the, the more, uh, you know, I see the, the whole need for athletes because they, they do go through a lot of stress points after they're done with their careers. And so if there's ways that we could guide them. So your show sounds, you know, fantastic. I know you talked about being uh, writing and everybody talks about you got to write one book, which I haven't really thought about. That's going to take a lot of time someday, I guess I will. But uh, anyway, um, so uh, how can they find you? Is there like, can they, cause I know you said you're not too much on social media. You're working on a website. Is there at least, um, how do they find your podcast? Is there like maybe a Twitter handle that you go by the, in this new social media world? Right. Honestly, not yet. But all I can say to that is just stay tuned within the next six months. You'll be probably seeing me everywhere. Okay. Um, so just remember the name women's locker talk and, um, I constantly have new episodes coming out. Um, Most people release episodes one at a time. I release episodes like seven at a time. You're kind of of like Netflix, huh? (laughs) It keeps me busy. Um, So yeah, just keep, just stay tuned. I'm, I'm where I, I approach things in the same way I approached running. I just, things happen 
um, I have the endurance and things happen very quickly and very consistently. Right. Well, great. Well, I, I really, it was great talking to you. I really appreciate it. Um, you can find us out on alumnidirect.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube. The show is on our YouTube channel. We also are on podcast now. So it's exciting. I, I really want to help get the word out and you know, promote as many assets as I can. So thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. We look forward to seeing you again on the, uh, on the next episode.